0: Chapter 1 of Among Malay Pirates and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Among Malay Pirates and Other Stories by G. A. Henty. Chapter 1 I wish most heartily that something would happen, Harry Parkhurst, a midshipman of some sixteen years of age, said to his chum, dick balderson as they leaned on the rail of her majesty's gunboat serpent and looked gloomily at the turbid stream that rolled past the ship as she lay at anchor one day is just like another one is in a state of perspiration from morning till night and from night till morning there seems to be always a mist upon the water and if it were not that we get up steam every three or four days and run out for twenty-four hours for a breath of fresh air I believe we should be all eaten up with fever in no time. Of course, they're always talking of Malay pirates up the river kicking up a row, but it never seems to come off. Well, there's one thing, Harry. There's always something to look at, for there are canoes constantly going up and down, and there's plenty of variety among them, from those sluggish dhows laden with up-country produce to the long canoes with a score of paddlers and, and some picturesque ruffians sitting in the stern. "'It adds to the interest when you know that the crews are cutthroats throats to a man, and would make but the shortest possible work of you if they got you in their power. "'Yes, Dick, look at that canoe coming upstream. What a good-looking chap that is in the stern. Though, By the way, he scowls at us I can quite believe he would, as you say, cut our throats if he had the chance. That's a pretty little child sitting by him, and what a gorgeous dress she has. There, you see, he can look pleasant enough when he speaks to her.' I fancy they must have come from a long way up the river, for they look wilder than most of the fellows who pass us. Oh, If that fool who's steering her does not mind what he's about, Dick, he'll either run into that canoe coming down, or else get across our chain— there. There! I told you so." The man at the tiller was, in fact, looking with mingled curiosity and hostility at the gunboat that he was passing but a few yards away, and did not notice a canoe, manned by six rowers that was coming down with the stream, taking an oblique course across the bows of the serpent, and was indeed hidden from his view by the hull of the vessel, until he passed beyond her. Then there was a sudden shout and a yell from a dozen throats as the two canoes came into collision, the one proceeding up the river being struck on the quarter with a force that almost cut her in two, and in an instant her occupants were in the water. As the Malays, of course, were to a man almost as much at home in the water as on the land, the accident would have had little effect beyond the loss of the boat and its contents. Had it not been that the stern of the other craft struck the Malay chief with such force as to completely disable him, and he would have sunk at once had not two of the boatmen grasped him and kept his head above water. Harry Parkhurst explained, "'What has become of the child?' and he and dick balderson both leaped on to the rail throwing off their jackets as they shouted to the men to lower a boat nothing could be seen of the child until after a half a minute's suspense a little face suddenly appeared in the swirl of the muddy water some fifteen yards from the vessel's side it was gone again in an instant but as it disappeared both lads sprang from the side and with a few strokes reached the spot where they would seen the face disappear then they dived under water and soon grasped her as soon as they came to the surface, a sailor who had seized a coil of rope flung it to them, and grasping it, they were quickly by the side of the gunboat. A minute later, some sailors, who had at once tumbled into a boat on the alarm being given, came up. The child was first handed into it, then the midshipmen scrambled in, and, by their directions, two of the sailors, standing on the thwarts, lifted the child high above their heads to the hands of the men leaning over the bulwark. Dick said take the little thing to the doctor now lads row on let's pick up some of those malay fellows a babble of shouts and sounds rose from the water the bow of the second canoe had been stove in and she also had sunk to the water level a fierce fight was going on between several of the malays the chief who was being supported by two of his crew was shouting furiously and others of his men in obedience to his orders were diving under water Harry turned to the gunboat and called to the men to bring Sue Hay, the interpreter, to the side. A minute later the man was hustled to the rail. Harry shouted, "'Tell that chief that we've got his child safely on board!' Again and again the interpreter called out, but it was some time before he could make the chief pay attention to him. As the latter caught the purport of his words, his face changed at once, and after calling to his men to desist from their search, his head sank on to the shoulder of one of the men supporting him and he evidently lost consciousness harry said he's badly hurt dick we'd better get him on board too old horsley was wishing this morning that he had something to do beyond administering doses of quinine to the men taking the tiller he brought the boat alongside the chief and four of the sailors directed by dick gently raised him from the water and laid him on the bottom of the boat blood was flowing freely from an ugly gash in his face and it was evident from the manner in which his left arm hung limp as they lifted him up, that either the shoulder or the arm itself was broken. Dick said, "'Get him alongside at once, lads. I expect he's more injured than we see. The other fellows will be all right. They can all swim like fish.' In two or three minutes the injured man was laid down under an awning over the foredeck of the cruiser, and the surgeon at once came up. "'How is the child, doctor?' "'She is still insensible,' he said but she will soon be all right. I can't discover any injury, and I think it likely that it was the sudden shock, and perhaps a knock against the side of the boat, that stunned her. For I have no doubt she could swim, small as she is. This is a much more serious affair. He has an ugly gash in his temple, his collarbone is broken, and—he went on as he passed his hands down the patient's side—he has two if not more ribs broken. "'Well, we will leave him to you, doctor.' There are a lot of these fellows in the water, and I suppose they must be brought on board until we can get a boat to take them safely ashore. In a few minutes eighteen malays were brought to the side, and the two canoes, which were floating level with the water, were towed up and fastened by a rope to the stern of the gunboat. Even when safely on deck, the two parties were still so infuriated that they had to be separated and placed under guards, apart from each other. Three or four had been killed by the stabs of the deadly krises and their bodies could be seen floating astern. Several of those rescued had wounds more or less severe. An old sailor said to Harry, "'We should not have much trouble with those fellows in the water, Mr. Parkhurst.' "'No, indeed, Davis. They could swim round and round us, and our cutlasses would be very little good against those ugly-looking chrisses. If we were to leave them to ourselves, they'd fight it to the death. After all, it was no one's fault in particular.' Mr. Balderson and I were watching them. One was crossing the ship's bow just as the other came out from her side, and they were into each other before either had time to hold their boat up. That chap the doctor's bandaging up was in a nice taking about his child, sir. It was a lucky job that you and Mr. Balderson happened to catch sight of her. Yes, poor little thing, it was only just a glimpse we got of her face, but as we were looking for her and ready to dive, it was enough. Lucky we were inside the bar, Mr. Parkhurst, that the sharks would have had half the fellows. I did not think of it at the time, Davis, and it would not have made any difference if I had. We were only in the water a couple of minutes, and the malays were making noise enough to frighten away any number of sharks. They'll have the job of washing out our trousers again. We had only put them on clean half an hour before. That ain't no matter, sir, especially if you go down and change at once. The mud'll come out easy enough if I leave him in a bucket of fresh water for half an hour. The two midshipmen joined the group of officers who were standing near the doctor. The latter had, on closer examination, announced that four of the ribs were broken. He'd finished his work just as the lads came up. News had been brought up by the steward that the little girl had opened her eyes. While he was speaking, the Malay conversed rapidly with the interpreter. "'What's he saying, Sue the captain asked. He is asking why his daughter is not here, and if she is hurt, and how she came to be saved, the man replied. May tell him she come up to see him soon, the doctor say she not hurt. Two minutes later the doctor reappeared carrying the child in his arms. She looked around fearlessly at the white faces until her eye fell upon her father, when she slipped out of the doctor's arms like an eel and ran to him. The grim features of the melee lit up with a pleasant smile as he held out his right hand to her. She was a strange little figure, for the doctor had not waited to obtain any suitable garments for her, but had wrapped her up in one of the signal flags, which the child herself had wound round her waist and over her shoulder like a native sarong. The doctor said, You tell him, Suhey, that he must not talk to her. If he keeps quiet, he will get well in short time. If he talk, he ill many days. But I will let him say a few words to her now. The Malay's eyes passed over the group of officers and rested on the two midshipmen, whose wet clothes showed that they were the officers who had, as the interpreter had told him, dived in and rescued the child. He said something to the interpreter. Malay man want to speak to you, young gentleman,' the man said. "'He wished to thank you.' Oh, tell him there is nothing to thank us for,' Harry said hastily. "'It was nothing more than taking a bath.' "'Yes, officer, he wishes to speak to you.' Somewhat reluctantly, the two lads approached the side of the injured man. He took each of them by the hand, and as he did so, said something which Hay interpreted, "'But Chief says that you have given him back what he loved best in the world, and that his life is yours whenever it may be of use to you. He may be of service to you, gentlemen, should you ever go up the river. A Malay never forgives an injury, or forgets a service.' tell him we are very glad to have brought his little girl out of the water harry said and then if we ever go up the river we will pay him a visit the chief was now laid in a cot which was swung from the stanchions of the awning while the little girl was carried away by the doctor who laid her in a berth gave her a cup of tea which she drank obediently to his orders but evidently regarded as being extremely nasty and she was then told through the interpreter to go to sleep until her sarong had dried a couple of hours later she was on deck again in her native garb and ornaments. The interpreter pointed out to her the two midshipmen who had rescued her, and she at once went up to them and, slipping her hands into theirs, began to prattle freely. They were unable to understand what she said, but they took her round the ship, showing her the guns, and introduced her to Ponto, the captain's great Newfoundland, who submitted gravely to be patted by her, and to Jacko, the monkey, who was by no means disposed to be friendly, but chattered and showed his teeth, and to Julius Caesar, the negro cook, who grinned from ear to ear and presented her with some cakes from a batch which he had just made for the captain's table. The rest of the Malays had already left the ship. Two native boats had been hailed, and in these the two parties of Malays had taken their places, and with their boats towed behind, had been rowed away, the captain giving strict instructions that they were to be landed on opposite sides of the river. The little maid speedily became a general pet on board the Serpent, and was soon the proud possessor of several models of ships, two patchwork quilts, several carved tobacco-boxes, and other specimens of sailors' handiwork. Small as she was, she had evidently a strong idea of her own importance, and received these presents and attentions with a pretty air of dignity, which at once earned for her the title of the Princess. On the second day after the accident, the chief's boat came off from the shore, the damage having been speedily and neatly repaired. Little Bahi stood on the top of the accommodation ladder as they approached, and addressed them with great asperity, using much gesticulation with her arms. "'What's she saying, Sue Hey, Dick Balderson asked. "'She is telling them that they are bad men to let the boat be run down, that she is very angry with them, and they will all be punished.' The men looked very crestfallen under their little mistress's reproaches, and held up their hands in a deprecating manner, while the helmsman stood up and, after salaaming deeply, entered upon a long explanation, which ended in his asking if he might come on board to see his chief. Permission was at once granted by the captain upon the request being interpreted to him. When he mounted the steps, Bahi led him to the side of her father's cot. The doctor, however, interposed, Tell him he must not talk, he said to the interpreter. The chief is ill and must not be allowed to excite himself, but he can say a few words if he wants to. The cot had been lowered to within a few inches of the deck in order that the chief might watch his daughter as she trotted about and romped with Ponto, who had now quite taken her into his friendship. The chief's face expressed alarm when he first saw the great dog, but when he saw how gentle the animal was and how, when one of the sailors placed the child on his back, it walked gravely up and down the deck, wagging its tail as if pleased with its novel burden. He was satisfied that no harm could come to her from this formidable-looking animal. He had first spoken a few words sharply to the man in answer to his excuses, and, indeed, had the helmsman been minding his business instead of looking at the ship, the collision might have been prevented. But Hassan Jebash was at that present moment so well contented with the recovery of his child that he accepted the man's excuses, and the latter went back to his boat evidently greatly relieved. In a few days the chief began to show signs of impatience, and through the interpreter constantly demanded of the doctor when he would be well enough to leave. You ask him, hey whether he wishes to be able to lead his tribe in battle again, or to go through life unable to use a kris or hurl a spear. In another ten days if he remains quiet he'll be able to go and in a couple of months he'll be strong and active as ever if he'll but keep quiet until the bones have knit surely a chief is not like an impatient child ready to risk everything for the sake of avoiding a little trouble the chief on this being translated to him scowled angrily tell him it's of no use his scowling at me so hey i'm not doctoring him for my own amusement but for his good and because he is the father of that little child the chief when this was translated to him lay without speaking for two or three minutes and then said quietly tell the doctor i am sorry he is right and i have been foolish i will stay till he says i may go end of chapter one recording by mike harris